Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of This Is Your Captain Speaking. Uh, today I'm joined by Jordan Cohen, who's the CEO and founder at the Fox Hill Group. Uh, Jordan comes with over 20 years experience in a number of fast-paced uh, tech companies and very fast-growing ones at different stages of growth, jumping around from different stages to growth, which we're gonna, which we're gonna get into now in a moment. And he's also been featured in the Wall Street Journal and New York Times. Um, so, Jordan, really, really happy to have you on today. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. For sure. For sure. I've been looking at your LinkedIn profile, with trying to keep my mouth closed, you know, just at some of the companies and some of the variety of the sizes of companies or the, the stage at which they're at. So you're at companies like Movable Inc., um, that it grew from zero to 10 million annual recurring revenue in two years. You were fluent, which grew from 50 to $200 million in three years. Um, you've been involved in uh, mergers and acquisitions events. So at, at, at Fluent, for example, acquired for $225 million in 2015. And then again, $415 million in 2017. Um, like, and, and then also I've gone out to, to IPO. So IPO as well, you're looking at Fluent and, and Cognant at the NASDAQ in 2016 as well. So you, you've got this like almost every tech marketer's like dream in terms of where they come in, in terms of going, you've been early stage, startup, scale up, like hyper scale up, way past that scale up, post 100 million, and then you've also gone IPO. So how is your head still on your shoulders? Are you doing okay, first of all? <laughs> Crazy career. Uh <laughs> is my head still on my shoulders well I turned 42 years ago so I'm at that kind of like midlife you know what am I doing moment to be honest yeah, we're, we're supposed to have a frank conversation no it's been um no thank you that was a that was a interesting other person's reading of my my thing that I posted myself I guess but uh but yeah no it's been it's been a wild ride interesting and um I appreciate that you've highlighted some of the successes that I've been a part of, and I like to think I contributed to, but there were certainly a lot of other people who played big roles um, and, uh, and absolutely, you know, getting acquired, you know, being with a startup that scales actually has a nice successful acquisition and getting to, you know, to ring the opening bell at NASDAQ uh, is, is kind of everybody's dream who works in startup land or chooses this path. But, uh, but my my earlier past um, has certainly been checkered with a bunch of failures as well. So I don't want to I don't want to omit the, omit those. There's there's been definitely a handful of um, of companies that uh, you know also you know kind of went poof. Um, and I'd like to think that I contributed to that as well. <laughs> I'll drive into the ground. No, um, no, all, all seriousness. You know, um, uh, a lot of companies um, when you choose this path. You know, really big ideas, great ideas, but um, you know, failures of product market fit or fundamental flaws in the business model or poor execution. And then there's also been, you know, we had the opportunity to exit when we did and missed it, you know, because the founder decided that they, you know, it was a billion dollar company, not a sixty million dollar company. So um, I'd like to take you back a little bit. So there's been some really awesome things I've been a part of, um, and then also some some great learning lessons uh, from the, the abject horror films of, uh, of failures that, that, have, that have also happened along the way in the course of 20 years. So, so you wouldn't have been able to have those successes without the failures though. That's always the thing, right? Like you learn from that. I, 
I yes, I do think that uh, everything's a learning experience. That's so cliche, but it really is. And you you start doing um, like the like the venture capitalists as operators, you start to have some pattern identification, um, and and start realizing you know this is something that has legs versus this this doesn't, and you don't necessarily have that skill when you're a little bit earlier on in your career. Um, you get a little bit gaga about the big idea um, and neglect some important things like. Who are the team members? Who are the other people who are going to be around the table with you? Um, viability of the business model, but also, you know, are you going to be with a team that is all facing, you know, kind of that, cli that all, another cliche, but, you know, are we looking together in the same direction or are we looking at each other and kind of fighting with each other? So emphasis on team um, as well as, you know, product market fit and viability and, and um, yeah, prospects for success. Uh, that takes that takes a little while, I think, to, to kind of finally realize. Oh, for sure. I think like what when I think about it um, more and more, when I compare my experience as a marketer to maybe other marketers that are just up and coming, let's say, um, or that have just started in their career, the difference is if you have that experience is probably the decisions that you make. You're maybe sixty percent certain that you're moving in the right direction rather than thinking you're 100% that you're moving, thinking, thinking that you're 100% moving in the right direction early on, but you're probably only got that maybe 20% certainty that it's actually the right thing to do. You're never going to be certain. But as you said, right. like a VC, you're going to see certain patterns and trends and know, oh, that's a red flag. We're not going down that route again because that messed up last time I tried it. So yeah. uh, I think, yeah, having that maybe I, for myself, I think of it between a 60 to 65% certainty when I'm going and launching a campaign, for example, on a specific channel. I, I would say I'm yeah, 65% certain that's going to work. Just a 35% 35, 35%, you know, error. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, super interesting. Like one question I have for you during like, because you've been with companies that have gone through, let's say Fluent, for example, right? They You went through, you were with them when they were a scale-up, okay? And then you also went through two acquisitions and then also IPO, if I'm not mistaken as well, with, with, with Fluent, correct? Yep. So as a marketer, typically what you see with marketers is that they, they actually jump around. Like they're not able to do every stage of growth. They're not able to grow with the company. This is something that I see quite, quite often in that that 50 to 50 to 100 million, that's a speciality for a specific marketer. And they're maybe not given the, the patience by founders or the, 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 the executive level to be able to go to that next stage of growth. And then the same will go for an acquisition and then for IPO. How did you find that transition between each of those different stages of growth? Because it's almost like different companies, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um... No, that 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 is a good question. I will I will note that I didn't go from the two fifty to the billion, so okay. um, which is which is the next stage. But but yeah, no, I I'm I'm very proud and and you know it was of of that fifty to two fifty over three and a half years, um, and the IPO and all that and and scaling with with the company. Um, I think that we had a lot of so there were a couple things. We had a very stable group of executives. So there was not turnover in any of the key roles. Um, and that isn't just the revenue roles. So we had, you know, a stable, you know, I had a real true partner. And I'm not just saying fluff here, but I actually had a great counterpart who was running sales. 
and we had complete alignment. We worked very closely together. Our offices were next to each other. We would talk to each other all day long, um, but we didn't have that like Mars Venus type of fight that you see so often at, um, at startups anywhere. Um, but we had that stability, but we also had stability with the rest of the core functions. Um, finance is incredibly important to marketing um, and having being on the same page and having a CFO who really supports what you're doing and understands what you're doing and um, understands how you justify the ROI of some things that are very clear and justify the ROI of some things that aren't necessarily so clear. Um, so I think we had a we had a consistent group. Nobody left that during that entire time. Nobody was let go um, and nobody left. Um, so there was stability and growth amongst the team from the CEO to the CMO, me, to the CRO, CFO, general counsel. Um, and, and we all kind of grew together. Uh, and with that, you know, obviously our teams changed, the size of the company grew exponentially. Um, and we all sequentially grew together and, and yeah, kind of, adapted to the situation um, and we're able to, to keep keep the momentum going at each stage, if that makes sense. Oh, it does, it does. It sounds like uh, culture played a big role there. So- uh, Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I, yeah, I'll, I'll, I, wanna, I do wanna say about Fluent, um, one of the things that I, I had learned going into that company, because so, you, you know, you mentioned Movable Link Movable Link was super fascinating to me. I met the founder when he was doing a uh, kind of like a pre Shark Tank, Shark Tank type of deal out in Silicon Valley. I was working for another startup that ended up going like this. And I saw him present when they were still at General Assembly, which was like pre, pre or we work, you know, like an incubator type of deal. Um, just an idea, but with no money. And I said, wow, that is a super cool product. Um, and it's still is a super cool product. The company just, you know, announced that they hit on 100 million ARR, you know, fabulous team, great company, um, great clients. Um, but I had also previously been really attracted to other like really big ideas um, that ended up kind of imploding, as I mentioned before. With Fluent, I joined a company that was in a legacy space. So Movable was like a category creator Good Mail Systems, if you remember that company, it was about like guaranteed email delivery, um, kind of like postage on email um, for, for, you know, for legitimate senders, for the targets and Walmarts of the world. Um, but Fluent was in lead generation, customer acquisition, a legacy space, a space that was um, kind of tarnished, you know, had kind of like a bad reputation in terms of the um, I know you talked to Scott Brinker. So if you look at the chief MarTech landscape, you know, performance marketing wasn't even on there. Um, and it was around for a good 20, 30 years um, within the direct marketing industry, but not really known for innovation. Um, but over there, I had gotten to a point in my career where I really valued team, um, understood the importance of team, understood the importance of working people that you could really work well with. Um, and also um, autonomy um, and the importance of having leaders who trust you in your role to do your job. Um, so that was, I think, also kind of key to the success of that company, um, the company as a whole, to my success as a marketer, having conversations where the founders actually fully deferred to me 
as the person in the room who knew the most about marketing, fully deferred to the sales lead as the person who knew the most about sales. Um, when you have founders like that and a culture like that, where they truly trust the people who they have around the table um, on the executive team and on the board, really listen to you, empower you, um, and have those types of like mature adult conversations, um, that is what I think really made that company successful, despite not necessarily being this, you know, wow, un, like brand new thing that, you know, is being brought to the world. It was something that had existed, that got perfected. Um, and a lot of it had to do with that culture of trust. Which is not a given by any means. Even if you have very talented marketers, talented salespeople at the helm, you, it just takes one crazy founder to, to, to get all that messed up, right? And I guess you've worked with some of those as well, right? You, you, you said it. Uh, everybody I've worked with has been delightful. <laughs> all right, I'll read between the lines. So that's, I, I, I believe you. Definitely believe you. You don't. You don't have to cut the. You don't have to cut the wink out of the post production. You know. <laughs> yeah, I think no. There, there's. I mean, you know, you know our world. There is so much hubris. There's so much. Like I said, a lot of the a lot of the failures were founders who had the opportunity to have a nice exit, a decent one, but thought that it was like a billion dollar concept when everybody else around the room knew that it wasn't right. Um, uh, founders who think that they're a jack of all trades, right? I've heard that before. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm just really good at everything, you know, and you're here to support me. Um, that never really works out. And, uh, and there's a lot of it. There's a lot of that in, in the culture of startups. So um, I think that, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a real moment of clarity for me that was in my, you know, I guess in my early to mid thirties where I was like, team really matters more than, even like the product. Oh, for sure, for sure. That's actually a really nice way of looking at it because the team that's moving in the right direction, regardless of, I mean, the product will get you there as well. You have to have a product market fit, but a team that's really working in the right direction uh, all together at the same time and all with the same vision is a powerful thing. Absolutely. But uh, it's funny you mentioned, so, so just to go back a second, you mentioned the CEOs or the founders that, that refer to themselves as jack of jack of all trades. In Ireland, we have an ending to that saying. I don't know if it's if it's translated over into the US or it's made its way over there. But when somebody calls them the jack of all trades, but ma we say but master of none, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so so it's actually it it plays itself true because I, I think early on in the startup world as well, they have to wear a lot of hats, and you can only get away with that for a certain amount of time, right? And that's when you need yeah. to bring in the that's when you need to bring in the experts in each field, right? Yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing uh, at the Fox Hill Group. Yeah, so I founded the Fox Hill Group two years ago. I, I formally registered the business um, after departing Fluent, um, spent kind of a year in the desert, you know, trying to figure out what my what my next thing was going to be. Did consulting for a couple of companies. Um, I served as acting CMO for a really interesting startup based out in San Francisco. Um, I'm living in Maine right now. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a pandemic mover living in a place that I've always wanted to live, but I'm a, a born and raised New Yorker. So I was in Manhattan at the time and I was doing the that wonderful, easy commute from New York to San Francisco like once a month. Um, 
but I was brought in there um, as contract. So it wasn't fractional CMO, it was acting CMO. Um, and so it was, it was full-time, but not as a payroll employee. Um, they ended up offering me that down the road, but that's neither here nor there. Um, that experience is what sparked the idea behind the Fox Hill Group and that I joined this company as acting CMO because there was a VP of marketing who was for all intents and purposes failing. The company was in a um, stagnant growth position, right? Really needed, I don't know if you would call it a turnaround, but they needed something new, some injection of energy on the go-to-market side in order to break this flat line that nobody likes to see, no SaaS company would like to see. Um, so was brought in there right away. Um, and naturally as you know, just like, like I'm sure you've experienced, you come in, you, the first thing you do is assess the situation, assess the team, um, strengths and weaknesses of the team that I inherited. Um, also there were existing gaps and open roles that weren't filled. Um, and then you also, of course, um, evaluate different agencies or partners that you have that are, they're on contract. Um, I was able to, so when I, when I came in there, um, we had some weaknesses across the board, but there was also, also an open role for director of growth, um, director of demand generation. Um, they were looking at some folks and I had somebody, you know, so another benefit of 20 years of working, um, there's a lot of negatives and that you start like, you know, your back starts to hurt, neck starts to hurt. You get a couple of gray hairs in your, your head and then now into your, your beard if you move to Maine. Um, but, but, uh, but, but yeah, but you, but you do get to, um, hire or inherit some fantastic people in different functional areas. Um, so when I was in that situation, we had this open rec for director demand generation. I had somebody who I previously worked with, was able to recruit that person because we had a relationship, um, and slot that person in, um, really quickly and, and you know we worked together on that on that assignment for about a year but that gave me the idea that um, startups at various stages um, whether they're early stage or sometimes scale up or in that period of stagnation um, have more gaps to fill than just at the top and they're looking for functional air um, excellence in areas like demand generation public relations design product marketing, um, you name it, there's usually some kind of additional deficiency. Um, so that's when I, I started formulating the idea behind the Fox Hill Group, which is an agency for tech startups. Um, we specialize in my area of domain expertise, which is MarTech, ad tech, um, media and e-commerce, although we do have worked with, with other sorts of clients as well. Um, but the idea being, you know, fractional CMO plus whatever is missing because there's always something missing or something that could be improved. Um, so that, that was the idea. Um, that's what we launched. And um, I've been very fortunate and thankful to work with some um, really amazing clients like uh, Cordial, if you've heard of them, um, the CM Group, which is already, I think, private equity backed and pretty big, but working with Campaign Monitor and Delivera, um, What If Media Group, which is um, kind of similar to Fluent in the performance marketing space, uh, Rev Tracks, love those guys. They just got acquired at the end of last year. Um, so successful outcome after um, the founders who um, I think like you, like you mentioned um, where you're at now, bootstrapped and just blood, sweat and tears for 12 years. 
um, and had a successful exit. So um, it's been it's been an interesting ride, ride working with a diversity of clients from just starting out to you know getting ready for an exit. Um, yeah, and that's what that's what we've been up to. That's amazing stuff, man! Congratulations, well done. That's that's uh, it's exciting. So I guess, I guess you're enjoying it, right? I can tell. I can tell you're enjoying it, right? Oh yeah, um, yeah. No, I absolutely am. It's you know another another thing that kind of I've learned about myself over the years is uh, it's a skill that I still need to develop, which is uh, you know authority and dealing with authority. But I've always had cha- I probably have had challenges with that since I was you know born um so so being being you know i um yeah being my own boss i still work for clients i still work for other people we all do ceos work for their investors right um or for some you know everybody kind of has a boss at the end of the day the president of the united states has a boss um well the good ones like to say i'm here you know because the people elected me um so being my own boss has been really gratifying um, but that said, it took it took a lot to get to this point. It's not something that I could have done straight out of college. It's not something that I could have done 10 years ago. I needed to build up that body of work. I needed to have that successful exit um, in order to do something like this comfortably. So um, I just want to put out the reality out there. I'm a pretty open guy. Um, it wouldn't be possible unless I worked for a lot of other people took my licks, had some successes. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been really enjoyable and it's been nice to have a diversity of clients to work with, um, you know, on different projects and, and then especially gratifying when we see them succeed, um, whether it's an exit or whether it's like, Hey, like the company got zero press and now the founder is like on television. Um, all that is, is really, you know, makes me feel good. And, it's why I've always loved marketing. It's why I got into the profession to begin with. Um, metrics aside, you could really clearly see before and after the impact that you're having. So, um, yeah. Oh, for sure. That's cool, man. That's really cool. Like, let's, because you're going, uh, you, you work with a number of different companies. And I guess you probably have your playbook in the back of your mind. So companies come to you and say, okay, Jordan, we have XYZ problem. And immediately your mind starts going okay well we need to look at that and we need to make sure that's being implemented and so on and typically nowadays coming into any tech company you're gonna have some level of of tech stack in your mind which companies should be using do you have like a, a couple of go-to technologies that you say okay look you need to implement this is crm this is marketing automation these are a couple of other tools that you need to do, do you have a go-to or do you how, how do you play that yeah um i yeah, I, you know, I mean, well, typically, I feel like any client that I've had so far has had an existing stack, and I've tried not to disrupt it too much. Um, so if they have a marketing automation platform already, it's more about how do we optimize it versus like replacing it. You know, if I have part out, I'm not going to come in and say, hey, like, we got to go to Marketo. Um, but, you know, through my through my career, I've ended up working with everything from MailChimp at the very, you know, when you're starting out mm-hmm. and blink and you have no money and the marketing budget is your salary, right? You get marketing, you get MailChimp with the logo at the bottom, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to pay to get the logo removed. Um, and then, you know, and then, and then as you move on, you, you graduate and you, you implement a, a Pardot or Marketo or Eloqua or something like that. Um, 
So I try not to, I, I typically don't disrupt that because it can be really disruptive, but we usually see opportunities to optimize. Um, but, you know, where I've seen like gaps have been, um, this is somewhat controversial maybe, but in B2B marketing, you need data sources, you need, right, you need, you need Zoom info or something similar. You need a contact database. To do account-based marketing, you need to know who the people are, yeah. um, even if it's with 75% or 80% accuracy. Um, but I have I have a typical stack. I'd say that the the most disruptive thing that I that I usually do is on the product marketing side. Um, I almost always, if I'm called in, it's because there's a problem. Nobody's nobody's calling a, a consultant or an agency because things are peachy. Um, they call them in because they're not doing great at demand generation. They're not doing great at PR at the moment. Um, I usually, not usually, I always see problems with product marketing. Um, and um, so that's not tech related. That's really like the whole thing. Um, so, so I think that the, you know, the thing that I'm most disruptive or the thing that I'm most focused on initially, and then as I go along is always, you know, how are we positioning this product? How are we positioning it different? How are we ensuring that it's positioned as different or really different, innovative and better than the competition, whether it's apples to apples or apples to oranges. Like you, we talked about movable link. Um, they don't have a ton of competitors, but oftentimes in the mind of the, of the mind of the buyer, right? They have competitors for the buyer. And is it, am I gonna adopt real-time personalization technology or am I going to do this like triggered automation or something else, right? Um, and I can only buy one of these things this year. Um, so really focusing on how do we make the, the product stand out? How do we make it incredibly compelling um, in terms of, you know, the mind of the personas who we're selling into? Um, and, and almost universally, I see issues with that um, and work on that. And that's another thing that somebody posts on Facebook a while ago, um, the sequence of like hiring when you're at a startup. And uh, this this person said, you know, when you're at series A, um, he or she said like the first person I hire is like ahead of product marketing. And I wrote, no, you're, you're the head of product marketing. That's like the last position I hire. Yeah. Because you're head of marketing, you, you better damn be good at product marketing. Like that's like your number one thing. Um, you know, you know, everybody, you know, if you, you know, we both talk to recruiters, they ask you, are you a brand CMO or are you a demand gen CMO or are you a product CMO? And I'm like, I'm a unicorn. I'm great at all of it. You know? And they're like, yes, I'm going to take you in front of my client. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's critical to develop competency and excellence in all those areas. But product marketing is the responsibility of the CMO first and foremost. And you add product marketers as you scale because you need help developing materials and as the product suite expands. But um, I know that, that was a bit of a tangent from the. No, the it's actually stack. good because it's it's funny because I spoke with. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Bertrand Hazard, but he's based he's based in the US as well. He's worked in a number of fast-growing tech companies as well. I spoke with him earlier today, and he's he specializes in GTM, so on go-to-market, specifically around product marketing, you know, as with any go-to-market specialist. But 
he was also saying that um, the problem is with um, with marketers that get involved with product marketing, like a CMO or whatever, they find it very hard to digest information from all of the relevant parties and then also put their own spin on it. So you have all of these different people that are like coming and saying, this is what I think the product is, or this is what the messaging should be. And then you've got a founder coming and saying, no, this is what I think the messaging should be. And then the market is just trying to keep everybody happy. And that's a problem, right? And that's when marketers don't succeed. And it's it's yeah. really, that's that's what we're seeing probably across, I'd say somewhere around 70 to 80% of, of uh, tech companies. And that when you look at people's messaging, you try to figure out like, what the hell did I even sell? Like you look at their website and you're like, I don't, I have no idea what this company does. No idea. And it even goes yeah. back to like uh, Scott Brinker and myself spoke a couple of weeks back and his MarTech landscape, chief MarTech landscape, with over 10,000 just sales and marketing technologies. Yeah. It's terrifying. And all like, I would say a good chunk of those have some bullshit as they're in their hero image of their site, their main real estate of terms of what do you do? And we offer the most complex blah, 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 blah. And, it's, and you get yeah. that across the entire site. And that's typically, in my experience, coming down from a marketer that doesn't, or that maybe isn't strong enough to, to first of all, put their own stamp on it, but also has to fight back everybody else's opinion on, on what it should be. I don't know what, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, yeah, no, my uh, my my good friend Jared Blank, a guy who I used to work with at uh, Epsilon and Bigfoot Interactive, like way back at the beginning, who we're still in touch with, and he's he's a fellow CMO. He calls it gobbly. He's been he's been putting out some really really funny blogs. He did the uh, the octopus um, that you see on every site, the uh, the the which is the the chart of how the platform works. So there's inputs and outputs. And I'm like, oh damn, I've created a couple octopuses, haven't I? octopi um but um yeah i mean everything is um you know using ai and machine learning to optimize and increase your roi um that's all they're all important yeah. things glad you mentioned all of those yeah, yeah. how many x's right. are you putting at three to five x probably uh seven yeah, percent yeah. roi yeah. you know <laughs> yeah and then you have no idea and then no and then you just ask me about my stack and it's just a handful of things i'm not i'm not you know right like you can't create that big of a Frankenstein, especially well as a B, as a B two B marketer, you know who's only scaled from between zero to two fifty. You know, perhaps as you get to a billion or more, definitely when you're a consumer marketer, you know you're piecing together a much larger stack. But still, even when you have a larger stack, there's only so much you could put together. Most of my clients over the years, and I've mostly sold into enterprise marketers, um, enterprise digital marketers at companies like Foot Locker or Western Union or um, United Airlines, right? Um, they're really, they really like having everything in one place. You know, if they have Oracle for their email deployment system, they're also using Oracle, you know, ODC for their data, their, their maximizer for their, their, um, you know, website optimization, their, their benefits, like that, like that, that roll-up strategy that the big software companies adopted was for a reason and big companies like it they like simplicity it's not big companies it's people we like simplicity make my life easier i don't want to stitch together some kind of some kind of crazy thing right um but um from a product marketing perspective um like you said i think that there there can be so many 
voices in the room. And that's why I spoke, you know, 10 minutes ago about the importance of empowerment and working with a working with a CEO and the and you know, not just the CEO, but having a whole executive team that truly respects you as a CMO, respects the C in your title, that you're the one, right? A, a true chief executive officer doesn't say I'm a jack of all trades or a successful one. They say, I'm really good at being the CEO, but you're the chief of marketing, right? Um, and when they let you do your job, respect that you have the mind for it and they have the mind for the other stuff and you respect that they have the mind for the other stuff, um, that's when you're able to do really great product marketing. Um, and uh, and yeah, a lot of it's about research, um, qualitative and quantitative. Um, and then there's a big part of it that's the X factor that you have as a marketer, right? Your creative mind, your gut, um, your understanding of the marketplace that you're in, the dynamics of the marketplace um, and making those calls. Like you said, the the 65% versus the 35%, or hopefully you're edging closer to 75 and 85% as you go on, but uh, trusting it and, you know, hopefully hitting a home run or at least a triple, um, occasionally striking out. Um, that shouldn't happen. It should happen less and less as you, as you, as you, as you progress as a marketer, but, um, but yeah, but, but absolutely having the faith of the, of the team around you, um, is critical in being able to, to make those decisions. And I found, you know, as the proprietor and founder of the Fox Hill Group, when folks bring me in, it's because they trust me to, to make those calls and guide them in the right direction because they know that there's something off with their messaging and positioning and the way that they're, they're bringing the product to market. And they have faith in my past experience and just in knowing me that I'm going to help, um, you know, lead them in the right direction. For sure. Okay, well, look, Jordan. Thank you so much for your time. We're after running out of time, but it's been really, really nice speaking with you. Where can people find you? Oh, um, they can find me on LinkedIn, Jordan Cohen, the Fox Hill Group. Um, our URL is Fox Hill Group, but foxhillgrp.com. I just thought it'd be shorter for my email address and spelling out group, um, but you can find us there. And I'm just Jordan at foxhillgrp.com. Great. What I'll do is as well, I'll make sure in the description of this episode, we have all your details in there as well. But uh, Jordan, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for your time. No, likewise. Really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Perfect. Guys, this has been oh, another... Good luck to... Sorry. Yeah, I, was just saying, good... I was just saying good luck to everybody out there because uh, there's 10,000 of us for you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and uh, no, and every, everybody's got something good. But I think um, I, I hope that there were some good takeaways here. Um, from, you know, I've learned a lot. I still have a lot to learn. We all do. Um, but yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, I just wish everybody success. And uh, and that's that's about it. Okay. Thanks, Jordan. And uh, thanks for listening, guys. This has been another episode of This Is Your Captain Speaking. Look forward to speaking with you all again next week. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks. Bye.